I'll be reading Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your unbounded wisdom in having this relational problem in Philippi with women that Paul knew dearly that he would write this to them for us You are good. Help us. Help us in our sanctification. Help us in our relationships. Help us attack and fight our own sin. Help us rejoice always in you. To the glory of your name. Amen. God means very purposefully to bring relational struggles to your lives. It's part of his sanctifying work. His way of Revealing sin, inclinations that need to be repented of, areas of personality that need to be modified. It's His grace that does it. And so, In human relationships, anger is a killer. And it often masquerades itself as something else because we do subconsciously at times suppress it without dealing with anger and it boils up and eventually we snap and it comes out in biting comments or in the silent treatment or constant picky criticism of the other. And so this is going on something like that with two women in the church who labored with Paul. He knows them personally. They work in the gospel ministry, but they're having a problem with their own 
relationship. And Paul knows that the lack of harmony there in the local church needs to be dealt with because it's not good for the atmosphere or for them. And so he does confront it. Right there in verses 2 to 4, I, I beg, I entreat, Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So it seems as though these women, they're, they're not peripheral to the congregation. They're known for their work in the gospel. They're, they're not women who have bad tempers and nasty tongues. It's not who they are. They worked for Paul. They were stand-out church members. They weren't troublemakers. And there's no hint within them of any heresy, immorality, stuff Paul has already dealt with and talks very negatively about. He's not doing that here with these women. These women. We don't really know the details. He doesn't give the details. But the situation was obviously serious enough for Paul to address it and to address these women by name. And it's been going on long enough so that Paul heard about it way far away in Rome. And so what does he do? He first pleads with them. I plead with you. He doesn't strong arm them. He doesn't use his apostolic authority. He goes directly to them, pleads with them to agree, to get along in the Lord. Secondly, he asks that person who was to receive the letter, you don't just send a letter, it's to the church, it's all... Some elder, most likely, was appointed to receive this letter whom Paul knows, and he asked him, help these women. Often, when tensions arise between any persons, but here between Christians, they can become severe enough where a, a mediator can be very helpful to, to help Yodia, just listen to Syntyche. No, no, I want you to see it from her point of view. In Syntyche, I want you to see where Yodia is coming from. Often, it's very helpful to have a third party step in. And so Paul asked the fellow yoke, fellow literally in the Greek, to help them. Third, we see that the content of Paul's plea to these women and to the mediator, it is agree in the Lord. Now, in the Greek, he literally says it this way with 
this infinitive verbal form. Phronane, it means, this is what I'm pleading for you to do. Phronane, meaning to think. I'm pleading for you to think the same thing. That's the literal. So what's he driving at? What does that mean? Let's first go to what he does not mean. He is not appealing for these women to have unity at the expense of truth, doctrinal truth. He does not say, women, regardless of what is coming between you, just bury the hatchet. Don't let doctrine stand in the way of unity. Doctrine is not that important. Just love one another, and that'll be enough. If you know Paul, you know that it cannot be what he means. The, the, the Paul who thinks that core doctrinal issues draw a line between the regenerate who, who are under God's grace and on the other side of that line, someone who is under God's curse, anathema, Galatians chapter 1. That's Paul. So there's no way he's slipping into some kind of postmodern relativism on the gospel, on doctrine. Paul, he demonstrates for us throughout his ministry and his writings that there are times it's very acceptable. There needs to be division, or there needs to be disagreement and conflict. And doctrine. You remember, he, he let the Galatian churches know years ago, I'll tell you what happened. When Peter, the apostle Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was wrong in his actions and the implications of what other people might read from that about the gospel. He was wrong and it needed to be confronted. Or the apostle of love. John, listen to how he writes in 3 John, verses 9 to 10. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Paul, in numbers of other places, when it comes to an attack on the gospel from Christians who are not repenting, he mentions names. So when fundamental gospel truth is at stake, it is sometimes necessary to divide. But that's not what's happening here. In light of the, the rest of the book of Philippians, Paul's plea is not some hopeless demand that these women would have perfect agreement on all of life, on every subject. That's not, I'm going to try to show you, that's not what he's saying. 
He's not saying, ladies, you got differences in the way you're born, your personality traits, you grew up in different families which affect how we do family life. He's not saying, agree on culture and family and personality and everyday issues. I expect you women to thrash all this out and then you come to perfect agreement and see everything eye to eye. It's not what he is asking for. I say that because when Paul uses this word, phronane, to, to think, it's often the way Paul uses that is, is not like this, think exactly the same way. It's this broad Deeper term, referring to, as we wrestle with each other in life, keep the gospel and yourself in the gospel. What, that, what does that mean about you and your sin that you don't like in the other person? Think. The same thing, be gospel oriented. So, for instance, if you turn back, remember in chapter 2, so to, not just to the two women, but to the two women, but that to the whole church there in chapter 2, verse 2, listen to how he talks. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Having the same love, being in full accord, agreement, and of one mind. What's he saying there? He's appealing to this, this, this mental and spiritual attitude that, it, that, that lives in and swims in the gospel that puts people who are very different flowing down the same stream of direction in their life with Jesus. That's what he's saying. Have the same fundamental goal. Have the same priorities of orientation in life. Simple way to say it is be in your relationship as Christians, you two women. Be predominantly gospel oriented. What we have here is two women who believe the gospel, but they're having a hard time. They're having personal conflict. And Paul's plea is to be in harmony. And notice the prepositional phrase, in the Lord. Paul knew that the key was to point them first to the Lord. That's what he does. Listen to how he wrote to the church in Corinth in chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, because there's divisions going on. Paul thought they were stupid divisions. Now, I'm, I'm over in this camp. He's my favorite preacher here. 
Here's my favorite preacher here. And this is how the, the, these. And so he says, look, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you, here it is, you all agree. Hey, what does he mean? On every nuance of life and personality trait and how you would say good morning as opposed to someone else. No, no, no. That you all agree and that there be no divisions among you and that you be united in the same mind having the same judgment. In other words, let Christ, let the gospel be what unites you together. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 3.8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. That's what Paul means. Agree on this. Agree on the most important, crucial things. Agree in Jesus, in the Lord. Now, say they do that. Does that mean that we should expect in our own lives or in their lives never to have conflict in relationships with other sinful saints? Nope. But some honest differences of opinions that we have and may maintain. You can't be dishonest with yourself if you've appropriately examined yourself. Or personality traits. We don't come out as blank slates. And we also get formed in different ways and they're growing up. Some of us have issues to deal with in a way that others never been a problem with them. And they also, in other areas, never been a problem for us. But those kinds of conflicts, they could be resolved. And not only just resolved by saying, let's just put it under the blood, but you know what? If we learn to grow, learn to listen, Learn to sort out where our differences lay. Sometimes there's conflict because you think you're talking about the same thing. But you might not be. Or you find out oh, they're seeing this whole situation differently than I am. I think they're wrong. They got the facts wrong. But if you... But if you Get to the place in conversation and maybe with a mediator like Paul asked here and you realize, oh, they think those are the facts. That's why they reacted that way. That's why they feel that way. Makes sense to me. If I thought what they did about the facts, I would also feel that way. That itself can be very helpful. You know, I don't like it when people, particularly in our our time right now in America, vote in national elections different than I vote. I don't like it. I wish they would vote my way. But when you ever listen to what they think, I would, oh, 
If I actually, like I say now, yeah, if I actually thought what you thought too, I would vote your way. Yes. It's helpful without impugning like, you know, the person is evil or something. Okay. So, conversation. Help these women. Try to see the other person's point of view to the place where you can, you, can, you can be them and say it back to them. And they say, okay, yeah, you got it. Ah, clarity. Then we go from there. Sometimes some of us might be humble enough to say, I'll change my mind. You prove to me that my perspective is sinful or wrong. But so we do that, and then we, in the Lord, we take our own views, not syntyche's Yodia, take yours to the Lord and submit it afresh again and again in prayer and to the Scripture. That's, I think, what Paul is driving at. Now, the reality is this. Many conflicts and disputes will not be resolved because often many of us who are involved in them refuse to take the scripture seriously enough and to submit our attitudes to it. In some cases, you got both parties. Neither one wants to do that. Neither one wants to be corrected or neither one wants to humble themselves. They're both convinced they're right and that's all that matters. So facts are not going to change their minds. Sometimes we may have found ourselves in that and then ultimately repented. We just really want to win. I'm right here. That's why I feel about Syntyche the way I do. She's wrong. So as we approach interpersonal relationships then, having said all that, and that's all work, and it sadly never ends till we die, the key in our Christian lives is the next Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Think how sobering that exhortation must have been to these two women. They've been in the church for a long time it seems like they probably were some of the first members there in Philippi if you remember in the book of Acts when Paul and Silas and the missionary team showed up they were most likely right there in those number of weeks when Paul and Silas were beaten and arrested and dragged into jail and their feet put in stocks and did bitterness nope at midnight they sang praises to God they sang a hymn they, they, they rejoiced in the Lord. And now Paul, Paul, years later, finds himself in prison in Rome awaiting trial. And he writes, and what he's saying, yeah, it's really hard, ladies. Hang in there. It's not what he says. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I'm going to say it. 
Rejoice. You odia syntiki. Rejoice in Jesus, ladies. In other words, set your minds, ladies. Set your, set your hearts on Jesus. Think about the gospel. Agree. Be on the same page. Work hard to agree on the matters of most importance. It's what he's saying on the gospel, on the word of God, on the glory of Christ, on the good of the rest of the body of the church that you're in, on the process of what sanctification is. Okay, agree that you both have this ugly sin that you have to constantly battle. Agree on these truths. Feel Paul's flow. Women, you're holding a grudge against a fellow sinner like you who saved By grace. Ladies, get yourself to the place where you rejoice. You have joy in the Lord. Don't you see what it means, ladies? Rejoice that your sins have been forgiven. That you, Yodia, you, Syntyche, you have been declared righteous, not by any goodness in you, but because Jesus bore your sin, put it away, and he lived your life. You, you both have received the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit as a down payment. Now, let's broaden the context here of what Paul's been doing in Philippians. Look, our very brief life down here, it's going to be filled with difficulties, ladies. Yes, like, like the tension between you two. But keep, have the same agreement. Be in full accord that eternity waits. That's what he just said to them a couple sentences earlier. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Rejoice in the Lord Joyful is the one who can say with King David, He drew me up from the pit of destruction. Out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise to our God. 
How could you not rejoice? When you see all your personality traits that are broken and twisted, when you, how could you not rejoice when you see that every actual sin that you sin and every one of them is so disgusting it could have put you under God's wrath forever and kept you there if it weren't for the grace of God. So he says rejoice in the Lord. He's not saying just flippantly start saying, yay, Jesus. It's not what he's meaning. He means everyday life. And you may do that, and hopefully we do that with our hearts as we sing, and as they would sing hymns. But, but he means this rejoicing which could be happening in solemn silence. Reflection. Alone with the Lord. This rejoicing could be happening in tears of repentance. In tears of gratitude. It could be happening in just sheer delight in the contemplation of Holy Scripture. The ultimate ground of our rejoicing, according to Paul, is not our circumstances. It's not your good circumstances. I will rejoice. It's not your bad circumstances, I will not rejoice. It is our delighting in the Lord. Himself, no matter what the circumstance, that's what enables us to live with joy. A deep-seated joy above the circumstances. And knowing this, as I began this sermon, God in His providence allowed these two women to experience those miserable circumstances of dealing with each other. Isn't that the point of James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4? Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it joy because you know that God's up to something. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its perfect effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So trials, like the tension between Euodia and Syntyche, those trials have the effect of helping believers to shift their ground of their joy let everyone agree with me on the minutia of life. <laughs> There's my joy or I'm dissatisfied. Nuh-uh. Shift the ground from the creature to the creator. 
shift the ground from always needing to be right and have people agree with you to rejoicing in the Lord. Paul and God sovereignly through Paul knows that a believer who is presently rejoicing in Jesus at that moment, who is presently truly rejoicing in Jesus, cannot at that same moment be a backbiter or a gossip or refusing to hear the other person or to remain with a spirit of bitterness or unforgiveness. That anger, those grudges, that bitterness, they're deadly. And they're called, and through this text, all of us through our lives as we will encounter these situations, we are called to battle those sins in our relationships. Ladies, he says, work it out. Work it out in the Lord Jesus, in the gospel, in prayer. Work this out. How? Flee to Jesus, rejoicing, and turn to Philippians 2, verses 1 to 4, which he's already told these ladies as he's told the whole church. Rejoice as you read this, ladies. Take it to heart in prayer. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, okay, remember, what Paul means there is your relationship with God Got any encouragement in Christ, Euodia? Syntyche, do you experience any comfort from God's saving love to you? Are you two ladies both participating in God the Holy Spirit? Okay, watch what he says. Then complete my, Paul's joy, by being of that same mind toward Euodia. Towards Syntyche. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. In humility, Syntyche. Count Iodia more significant than yourself. Let, let each of you look not only to her own interest, but also to the interest of others. So, application. First, realize it's not your job to change others. Realize that if you got any wisdom, you, re- you can't control the other person. But we can pursue Christ. We can obey this command. 
in our striving to live what Paul said here in Philippians 2, 1 to 4. And that's the big question. How do we have the same mind toward a believer that we may not like? Come on, let's be real. This is personalities rub us raw. And we know the old saying, oh, I love them. I just don't like them. Sometimes marriages get there. I love them. I just don't like them. <laughs> how, do, how, do you, how do you come to the same mind? I just don't like her. How do we love that other person? How do, we, how do we honor is more significant than me? That, that person whom I'm deeming they have done or said some dishonorable things. They sin. Yes. <laughs> so? Okay, but that's what we deal with. All right, so here's, here's my exhortation in the context of that real life. You need to know God commands this. That these attitudes that he commands in chapter 2, consider them more significant than yourself. Take what you experience with Jesus and flow it over to them. Those commands are part of the new nature that you have in Christ. It's your flesh that's battling that. And so first, you need to admit, we all need to constantly admit, we cannot do these commands without God's enablement. Therefore, first, pray. Help change me. Secondly, preach to yourself that that other Christian, no matter how imperfect he or she is, is also a child of God through the blood of Christ. Remind yourself, Jesus shed his blood. For Euodia. Syntyche is forgiven of all those things that bug the snot out of me. And you take a real evaluation of yourself and your sin, your brokenness, your curtness. Your impatience, your easily offendedness. And you realize what irritates me about her? You know what? I probably have some things that irritate other people. Who am I? And we take it to the Lord. Thirdly, watch out for the temptation of only focusing on the works of the flesh in the other person. 
What I mean is this. Train yourself to look for evidences of grace in them. That is what God will do for you on Judgment Day. Actually, in the New Testament, that, that, that is why your works are judged there. The goats and the sheep. Those works didn't earn anything, but they're the fruit of grace in your life. And there's going to be real evidences of that grace. And that's all that's going to matter. Mine. So do for each other down here what God will do for you. Then look for the remnants of the fruit of the Spirit, of any grace of true faith in them. That they also belong to Jesus. So, think this way. How would you like that other believer to only judge you by your works of the flesh, by your sin throughout the week? And only that, instead of also the work of sanctification, that process going on in you. In other words, do unto others as you would have them do. Do 